Let's open our Bibles to Second Chronicles, please. Chapter 5. Second Chronicles, chapter 5. I'd like to preach to you from this chapter. We'll go through the entire chapter in just a moment, but we'll begin reading in verse 11 to introduce the sermon. And I'd like to talk to you about making the most of the house of God. Making the most of the house of God. Before I read the text, I do have a question for you. Please help me here. <clears throat> and you got you to follow with me. If I have 10 apples in one hand and 13 oranges in the other hand, what do I have? I have big hands. <laughs> All right, Second Chronicles 5. I love those jokes. Second Chronicles 5, verse 11. <clears throat> it says here, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with, all, uh, with their sons and their brethren. May I tell you, there were 288 of them. That's how big the Levitical choir was. Just so you have the right picture in mind. Being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps. I think you know what a cymbal is, you know what a harp is. A psaltery is like the grandfather of the violin. A little bigger, bulkier, a bit more of a twang to it. They stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. 288 choir members, 120 trumpets, violins, harps, cymbals. Can you imagine what a wonderful sound that was? It, in verse 13, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. So for a few minutes, I want to talk about making the most of the house of God. And before we get into that, let's bow our heads, please. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for how you've already worked in our hearts, in our midst. Thank you, Father, for the stirring music. Thank you, Lord, the songs we get to sing and we get to enjoy. Thank you, Father, for the good testimonies from foreign fields, mission fields. Thank you for the outstanding lesson this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes. Father, we desire now that you come down and meet with us, manifest your, yourself to us this morning. Father, however you see fit, you know what needs to be done. Please help me to preach and help us to learn from this passage. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This was most certainly one of those rare and unique, majestic moments in the house of God. Not every time you go to church are you going to experience something like this. I do hope before you're done on this earth that you have one or two or ten or twenty moments like this in the house of God where it just gets so good you can't stand it. Literally, 
you can't stand it. Understand, please, that these priests that we read about in verse 14, it says they could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. They did not lose control of themselves. They did not fall over and have any sort of a conniption there in the temple. If you just flip over one page, maybe to chapter 7 in verse 2, you can see what happened. This is on another occasion now, but it says the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. The cloud that often accompanied the presence of God was so thick and so real in the temple on these couple of occasions that the priest could not stand because they couldn't see, they couldn't breathe. It just got so thick and so real with God's presence they had to excuse themselves from the temple for a moment. I don't know if you've ever had those rare and beautiful occasions where God gets so real to you. You don't know what to say. You, you, hardly, you hardly want to move because you don't want to do anything to make that moment stop. Please, Lord, just don't go anywhere. Let's enjoy this for a while longer. You can see from what we've read, these people came together as one, and it's not necessarily the music they played, although I'm sure it was beautiful. But they came together in verse 13, lifting up their voice with trumpets, cymbals, instruments, and praised the Lord. Do you see they were there with grateful, humble, gr uh, a heart of gratitude that they wanted to tell God how good He was. And if we don't have that, then the rest of what we're going to talk about today is really a moot point. It's not going to help much. But if you're there because you appreciate and love the Lord, well, as we say down south in America, we can have us some church. <laughs> you can make the most of the house of God. These moments are rare. Not every church service is going to be a burning bush. Not every Sunday is going to be a Mount Sinai moment where God comes down with thunder and lightning and gets your attention. Not every Sunday, not every Thursday, not every anniversary service or missions conference is going to be a Mount Carmel moment. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Mount Carmel moment where Elijah goes up against 450 prophets and calls down fire from heaven. Not every service is going to be like that. We would be foolish to expect them to be so. Jesus, the greatest preacher to ever walk the earth, when you look at what happened as a result of him preaching, it wasn't always dramatic. As a matter of fact, it rarely was. Many times when he would preach, the people rejected his message and not a lot would happen. What our job is to do is exactly what Jesus did. He was obedient to the Father and preached the message that the Father told him to preach. And as believers in Christ, of course, I'm going to try to do my part to deliver the message, but you likewise would say, Father, what is it exactly you would like me to do with what I'm hearing? And if we all respond according to the will of God, I, I think we can make the most of our time in the house of God. Let me point out two dangers. One of them, I think, is expecting God to manifest Himself the same way every week. Not every week is going to be a Mount of Transfiguration moment. Praise God when they happen. Uh, and... and Hey, like Peter said, let's put up tabernacles so that we can keep this going a while. But it would be wrong to expect every Sunday to be the same. I want you to know that because many times in today's world, 
People attempt to manipulate the crowd and manufacture a feeling or an experience so that people think something happened. And we, we do not want to put God in a box and say, God, you have to manifest yourself in this way or that way, and the crowd has to respond in this way or that way, or else we didn't have church. We didn't do it right. We cannot limit God in that way. That would be wrong. At the same time, let me say, another danger would be not expecting God to do anything. To sit in church, simply to sit in church not coming to meet with the Lord and, and seeking God's presence, seeking God's face. That would also be a waste of your coming to church. You're not making the most of your time in the house of God. How many of you have, at some point in your life, I know you've never done it in our church, how many of you have counted the lights in a church? Let me see your hand. Oh, more, more than I thought. <laughs> I did when I was young. I'd sit in that church and the priest would go on and on and I wasn't paying any attention. I'd already looked around the congregation looking for the pretty girls. And I knew that that wasn't my Sunday. It wasn't going to happen. So, the second best thing is counting lights. <laughs> Seeing if they're all still burning. Perhaps one or two bulbs had gone out. I don't think you're making the most of the house of God. You know, church should be more than just sitting in a room while a sermon is preached. And perhaps you don't count the lights. Perhaps you are a polite listener. But maybe it's not registering. And I think we all have those moments where sometimes our minds check out and our hearts in another place. But in order to make the most of the house of God, you want to be locked in. Letting the sermon start here, but then reach down to here coming through the ears and into the heart. I'm going to go be a step beyond that. The sermon that you're hearing, whether it's today or any day, it, it goes in the ears, into the heart, but then it comes out of the hands. If you'll follow along with me, you need to do something with it. In order to make the most of your time in the house of God, you come here desiring to hear something that you can apply in your life. And if all you did was hear the sermon, what did James tell us in James chapter 1? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It would be wrong to think that we've made the most of the house of God because we heard a sermon. Making the most of it, yes, while we're here, let's have a good church service. But you have to have that attitude of God, what I hear today from you is going to happen when I get home. It's going to happen when I go to work or school. I'm going to use this. Just like we cannot control the wind, we cannot control how God is going to manifest Himself here today. I'm not seeking drama. I'm not seeking some gentle move of the Spirit. What I want to do is strike sail, as they say. Strike the sail, put the sail out, and whichever way the wind begins to blow, I want to be carried forth by that rushing mighty wind. And if perhaps this is one of those days where God just speaks in a still small voice to your heart and keeps you going with that gentle momentum, then the sail is up. We let Him move us as He sees fit. But by all means, Catch on with the momentum of the wind. Don't fight against the direction that God is trying to push you or pull you. Our job is to strike the sail. 
and say, God, move me along. In this chapter, I think sometimes the temptation is to say, if we do the same things that they did, if we repeat the procedure, we will get the same outcome. And this speaks to that first danger. That would be wrong to expect God to always manifest Himself like this. He's not a computer. You don't just push buttons and get an automatic outcome. Our job is to perform our duties from a sincere and genuine heart to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And however He desires to manifest Himself, we're good with that. So that being said, I want to look through the chapter and at least learn a few things from what they did This is not going to be the whole story for what we need to do in a church service. But I think there's some good lessons that we can learn and perhaps put into practice here in our church. So let's make the most of the house of God. How do we do that? Chapter 5 and verse 1. Here's the first thing. The Bible says, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Can I just tell you there are some treasures waiting for you in the house of God? There's some sure enough treasures that the Lord has stored there for you. Hold your place here. Uh, Flip back maybe a couple pages to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28. And we'll begin reading in verse 11, but if you let your eyes peek back to 2 Chronicles 5 and verse 1, let me introduce my first point. Solomon was determined to do all the work. He was determined to do all the work. Look at chapter 5 and 1, thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. He had a determination to do everything God wanted him to do for the house of God. Now, where did he get this? Where did the process start? 1 Chronicles 28, verse 11, we saw it already. It started back with David. It started a generation ago. By the way, moms and dads, the best chance your kids have of treating the house of God with respect and honor and getting the most out of it is for you to get the most out of it now. And they see you finding those deep, rich treasures in the house of God. It's going to get them excited decades from now to say, if mom and dad could find it, maybe I could find it. There's something special and and it's worth coming to church. I get something out of it. There's something rich there. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 11, it says, Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof, and of the treasuries thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and of the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. Do you see what David's done? He got alone with God, and the Holy Spirit showed him what the house of God should look like. And David wrote it down. And then when his son came of age, he said, son, I'm turning this responsibility over to you. I'm putting this in your hands. God is not going to let me finish this work. You're going to finish this work. Here you go. Here's how you do it. Look at verse 19. All this said, David, the Lord made me understand in what? In writing. We got it in writing, guys. He put it down in writing. 
By his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee and he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. If I can just ask you to let your eyes scoot down through some verses, verse 13, 14, 15 and on. If you let your eyes drift down there, you'll see that David prepared silver and gold. He, he had the treasures and the riches that would fund the project. He gave that. But he also prepared the ministers, the singers, the priests. He got all of them ready. Verse 22, And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. And there shall be with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man for any manner of service. Also the princes and all the people will be holy at thy commandment. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. I want you to see that David had everything ready for his son. He said, son, I'm putting it down in writing. Here's what you need to do for the house of God. You know what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? The Bible says he died on the cross, he was buried, on the third day rose again. After he spent 40 days with his apostles, the Bible says he went back to heaven in Acts chapter 1. You know what we read in Ephesians chapter 4? That when he went back to heaven, he sent down gifts to men. Now these are not just spiritual gifts for each individual, although that is part of it. But Jesus equipped certain people in the church to be leaders and then said, you guys, you, you apostles, I've started a church, but I want you to build on this foundation. Jesus said, I build my church. And then he hands on to his apostles something to write down. And he says, I have prepared you guys as ministers and I will provide your needs as you go. You don't have to carry anything with, I'll provide it as you go. I'll supply all your need so that when you guys meet, the church can continue to grow and grow and more people can get saved, more people can get edified. Why? Jesus had it written down for us. The son of David said, here you go, church. Here's how I want you to get the most out of the house of God. He has it all prepared. Now, what should we do? It's up to us to be determined to do the whole work. Not to pick and choose and say, I like this part of church. I'm used to this. I grew up with this. These are the things I'm comfortable with. I get it. We all fall into that rut. But in order to get the most out of the church of God, you have to sit with an open Bible and say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do in this church? And what is the purpose for me coming to church? Why am I here? And what do you want me to get? Come back to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Solomon is determined to do all the work according to what was written. Now, for the sake of time, let me not show you these extra verses. I'll just tell you. It says in chapter 5 that he finished all the work. It took him seven years to finish it. That's a long wait to get the most out of the house of God. How many of you maybe had this experience? You grew up in some other church where the Bible wasn't emphasized. And it took you a while, maybe to even understand the gospel. Perhaps you, didn't, you were in a church that didn't preach the gospel. But once you came to this church or maybe some other Bible-believing church, it took a little while to get used to it, right? Have you had that experience? When I first 
left the Catholic Church. I grew up as a Roman Catholic. I studied to be a priest. I never missed one Sunday of church. My dad wouldn't allow it. We were there every single week and for every event as lost people. And being so indoctrinated and having that ingrained in me, if you've ever been around a Catholic church service, which they call a mass, the priest walks in holding a, a scepter or a cross, they call it a crux, and he walks in and there's altar boys and there's deacons in front of him and there's that chamber music going on behind him, that Gregorian chant music. And it gets a little creepy sometimes. Sometimes he swings an incense uh, bowl and he, and he throws the incense on you, which you learn on those Sundays, don't sit close to the aisle because he'll smack you with that thing. And then you come into the church and at certain times you have to genuflect and do this, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you get used to it. When I stepped into a Bible-believing Baptist church for the first time where the Bible was being preached, my wife and I had been invited by the pastor to visit the church we came late for Sunday school. We were already good Baptists by that point. <laughs> we showed up late, and there was a man with a Bible open on a pulpit. I had never seen that. I didn't grow up with a Bible open on a pulpit. That's not what you do in church. There was an empty altar where they said they were going to re-crucify Jesus. The Bible was stuck over on another podium somewhere else. Now here's this man standing up with the Bible, pointing his finger at the crowd, saying, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. And he's talking about raising kids. Christina and I had never heard preaching like that. You know, our initial reaction was how some of you look right now. Are we in the right place? I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> because maybe that's not how you... Now, I get it. When it's a new thing, new things take time to get used to. But the more you start reading in the Bible, the more you become familiar with why we're meeting for church and what we're supposed to get out of it and how we're supposed to apply it. And, and eventually, it might take time, but guys, it is worth the time. It might take you seven years to really get into the full swing of things and fall into that good momentum and say, I can be a profitable part of this church and move forward with this. I know it might seem strange, but stay teachable, stay moldable, and stay determined to do everything that is in writing. That's how you're going to get the most out of the house of God. I didn't grow up with church like this. And I know it might be easy for you to look at me as the pastor and go, but you've got to be used to this. I mean, you're doing it. Yeah, but I've never pastored a church for this long in one place. This is still new to me in some ways. I'm still learning as I go. And I want to continue learning. I want to continue growing and becoming a better pastor and a better Christian. And I want to see our church grow, not necessarily in number, but in maturity. So that we can be more productive for the Lord. How are we going to accomplish that? By continually opening what is written and saying, God, what else can we do? What else can we change? How can we change our church to match what you would like it to be? That's how we're going to get the most out of it. That's one thing. Let me show you another thing in chapter 5 and verse 2. On down to six, I'm going to say he didn't do it alone. He did not do it alone. This was not the work of Solomon by himself. This local church is not going to be the work of a pastor. It's going to be just that, the work of a church. And it's going to take every single one of us. Careful now, I said us. That's all of you. All of you. 
Everybody. In chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Here's the first group that is mentioned. These are the leaders of Israel. This would equate, because today we're talking about a church, these are the leaders of the church. And I, I realize perhaps I'm talking to a smaller group, but stick with me. I've been in enough churches to know that sometimes the leadership doesn't work together. Sometimes the leadership's not even saved. Sometimes the deacon and the Oderlinge, they got chosen because they have good jobs and own businesses in, in the town, and they have no walk with God at all. And if the leadership's button heads, you're not going to get very much out of the church as a, as a whole. So I just want to say thank God for a leadership group here that even though we're human and we might have our disagreements, praise the Lord, we have the same goal in mind. And it's important that that's true. You've all seen it where deacons and trustees and elders and just they're, they're purposely making life difficult for each other, for the pastor and for the church. Brother Ron Ralph said it like this, a committee is the group of the unwilling picked from the unfit to do the unnecessary. <laughs> Committees have been the downfall of many a church. Why? Because they have their own agenda. And they lose the big picture of what, what are we coming together for? Why are we here? So it's good that the leaders are on the same page with Solomon and on the same page as everybody else. Look at the next group. Verse 3, Wherefore, all the who... All, all the who. Yeah, gentlemen, could you help me out with this, please? Verse 3, wherefore all the who? I'm not going to let you get away with that. You guys can do better than that. Come on, men. Wherefore all the what? Men. Come on. Nice. From here. Come on. Push. Wherefore all the? Men. men. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you might even flex. Get the testosterone going for a second. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves. I like that. They got themselves together. Gentlemen, get yourself together. Get your act together. They assembled themselves. Solomon didn't have to go out and make thousands of visits to tell the men it's time to go to the house of God. The men got together because they're in charge. They got to lead that house right. Our society, not just our church, our society struggles and suffers from a bunch of weak-backed, spineless men that are afraid to lead their homes spiritually. Ladies, well done you for following God despite having a husband that may not be on the same page. Gentlemen, can I ask you to please step up and lead? I'm not trying to downgrade at all the position and the role that women play in a church because they are an important part of that as well. But we see here that the men got on board. And when the men got on, get on board, the wives hopefully get on board, the kids get on board. This, this is a necessary part because a church is made up of families. And if it's going to be made up of families, we need men that are willing to do what needs to be done in that church. Every time I get to go back to the States, I, I usually visit a church up in the Northwest. Brother Rick DeMichael is the pastor there. 
He has about a thousand members in his church, and on Saturday night they have prayer meeting, men's prayer meeting, every Saturday night. You got men that, listen to this, they drive 45 minutes one way to come to prayer meeting. Don't you know you're expecting some good things the next day when you got men driving 45 minutes one way just to pray for the service the next day? That's, that's a different kind of exciting. Especially when there are 300 men doing it. Imagine that, 300 men showing up. We don't even have that many chairs in this church. 300 men, and they get together and sing for, they sing four or five songs, and they'll have somebody preach, and then everybody breaks up into smaller groups, and they pray for a while until they're done talking to God. All the men, they assemble themselves. That's one good way to get the most you can out of the church of God. Verse number four, we see another group, four and five. It says, and all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. The ministers showed up. Now these are a little di different than just the, the leaders. These are the ministers. These are the ones tasked with standing at the altar. In a church, we would look at this as the pastor. So Brother Garrett, if I can preach to you, this is for you and me. We got to show up. We got to come prepared and prayed up and studied up. I don't want to come and just give you a lollipop every week. Just come and tell you a couple nice things that you want to hear. Jesus loves you. Have a nice life. Out you go. I want to I be connected with what the Lord is wanting me to preach to you and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and speaking, the truth, speaking truth in love. And, and Brother Garrett, as the assistant pastor, he's got to be in on that. But it's, it's bigger than that, actually. Sunday school teachers... You come prayed up, prepared up to give those young people the word. Any of you that are discipling somebody, you have been tasked by God to communicate spiritual truth to some younger Christian. That is a great honor. Don't take it lightly. When we come on Thursday nights, we have a, a wonderful youth program with the Youth Bible Club. You guys, what a great privilege to teach the next generation. We as ministers have to show up for that. And now we come to the last group. In verse 6, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. Which group are we addressing in verse 6? All the congregation of Israel showed up. Everybody's in there. Imagine how that looked. You have over a million people pitching up for this. Actually, several million people by this point pitching up for this church service. That, that, had to have been, that had to have been so encouraging to look around and everybody's house is vacant and everybody's down there at the house of God. Imagine how brilliant that is to look around and nobody's missing. We're all here. We're all here. You know, when Paul was in the Philippian jail and there was an earthquake... And the doors flew open, you remember that? And then the jailer was going to kill himself. He thought some of the prisoners had escaped. You know what Paul told him? Do thyself no harm. We are all here. You know, it's painful to look around and see folks that should be here and they're not. And I don't mean painful as, oh, shame, we don't have big numbers. I mean, I'm concerned 
this is an opportunity to get fed, but not only for you personally, it helps everybody around to look around and go, man, we're all pushing forward. We're, we're pressing on and we're doing it together. That's encouraging. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But notice in verse 6, they didn't just show up. They sacrificed. Everyone had something to give. Do you see that at the end of verse 6? They gave sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. They gave up counting the offering. It was too big. Hey guys, I'm not talking to you about money, okay? But don't, don't worry. Some of you can let go of your seat now. It's okay. <laughs> you can let go of your purse. I'm not after that. Everyone had something to contribute. Does that make sense? I mean, it might be money, but it doesn't have to be. That's probably the last thing on my mind right now. Everyone had something to contribute. And here's the point I want to make with that. When you come, yes, you're coming to get fed. You're coming so that you can get built up and encouraged and, and helped so that you can help someone else. So that you have something from the Lord that you can give back to the people in your immediate sphere of influence and even beyond the walls of this church. But you show up so that you can get built up so that you can give out. These people pitched up so they could pitch in. How are we going to make the most of the house of God? Pitch up and pitch in. You have 10 people, just 10, that come to a church service and they're passionate. And they are all there for the right reasons. You know you can have some good, good church services with just 10 people, right? Now, you take those t same 10 people and put them in a room with 100 people where the other 90 are not passionate, they're not there for the right reasons, can you still have a good church service? Yes, but it's going to be a lot more difficult, isn't it? Whereas if all hundred of them are there for the right reason, and there to, to sacrifice and say, Lord, whatever it is you ask of me, I am willing to lay that on the altar. It's yours. Whatever you ask. You couldn't ask enough, Lord. You get a hundred people like that together, you're going to make the most of that church service. You say, what do we do, Pastor? Because in the last days, we have lukewarmness to deal with. You know, some are hot, some are cold, some are lukewarm. You might have 90 lukewarm people. Isn't that going to pull us down? Well, yes, that's true. So what do you do about it? You personally stay hot. That's all you can do. I cannot control the temperature of every Christian around me. All I can do is stay hot myself, and hopefully some of this heat rubs off on the others. And if every person is mindful of their own spiritual walk with God, they want to stay close to the Lord, then that's going to encourage the next one and then the next one. And we provoke one another to love and to good works and we end up getting the most out of the house of God. You know what's not going to help? If the 10 show up that are hot and 90 lukewarm show up, if the 10 hot ones begin complaining about the 90 lukewarm, we're not going to help them get any hotter by complaining about them. You come together and you pray for them. And say, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Help these others to get on board with it. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. If you come for the right reasons, with that passion, with that zeal, you don't know what a blessing you can be to somebody around you. This week I had a young person, young lady come to the office, just saved a couple months ago. You talk about... The, the light of the Lord just beaming on this young lady's face. 
so interested in every part of the, of the things of God, just Bible questions and how do I pray and how do I witness. And I tell you what, for me as an older man, older Christian, I went out of that meeting so touched and refreshed. After that, I got down to pray after she left. And I said, God, you've just revived my heart by being around this young lady who saved two months. Why? Because she came to give her all. She wanted to be fully committed to that. And I said, Lord, thank you for the reminder. I want to get back where I need to be. I want... That heat rubbed off on me. And I hope it rubs off on you. In verses 7 to 9, we see another, another thing that will help us make the most of the house of God. In verse 7, it says, And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place even under the wings of the cherubims. And the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. So understand what's happening. As you walk through the temple, or let's say towards the temple, there's a... The court of the Gentiles is what they called it. It was for unclean people. You were not allowed within a certain area. The court of the Gentiles. Then as you approach closer, you'd go through what we know as Solomon's porch, the beautiful gate. You'd go through that and you were in the outer court, also called the court of the women. That's where they would stay and, and work and labor. And then as you progress in, you go into what's called the inner court. And that's where you find the priest offering sacrifices on the altar. And you as an Israelite, you would bring your offering, you would sit on a bench and watch the priest give your offering. That was the inner court. Part of what the priest could do, the priests were busy at the altar, but then they could also go into what's called the holy place. And that's where you have the candlestick, the showbread, table of showbread, and the altar of incense. All the priests were allowed up to that point. But then there was a special room at the backside of the temple Deep, deep, deep in the house of God. And it was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. And in that holy of holies, that's where God would manifest His presence in a completely unique way off of the mercy seat, which is kind of, it's a picture of the throne of God up in heaven. And the high priest was only allowed into there once every year. But if he offered the correct sacrifice, God would manifest his presence from off that holy seat, off that mercy seat. So I want you to have that in mind. If these priests are walking in, they're going into some deep area, deep waters that very few people could ever go to. And when they got in there, it says they took the staves out. Do you see it in verse 9? They drew out the staves. And then at the end of verse 9, and there it is unto this day. So here's my third point. They were done moving. They were done moving. You know why you had to put staves into the ark? So that the priest could pick it up and carry it. Remember that? They had to carry it because as the tabernacle went through the wilderness, the ark would have to move along with it. And they did not have a permanent place where the presence of God would always be found. But God had told Moses, one day I'm going to choose a place to put my name there. And Israel now has recognized God has given us a place where we can meet and find the presence of God. This is where He desires to record His name and to bless us. 
We found that place. They took the staves out and said, we're done moving. We're done moving. When you find the place where God has told you, I'm going to meet with you here. I am going to work on you here. We're going to have fellowship here. I'm going to knock at the door. You're going to open it. We're going to sup together here. Take the staves out. There's no need to keep wandering around, jumping around. Take the staves out. I believe some people struggle to commit. They have commitment issues for whatever reason. But you're hindering yourself and you're hindering the church at large by keeping the staves in. Take the staves out. It's recognition that this is, this is where I'm going to get fed and this is where I'm going to get some help. But I'm going to take you a little deeper than that. Don't take the staves out until you've reached that most holy place. Go deeper and deeper and deeper and then when you are buried deep in the house of God, take the staves out so that you don't move. Just make that commitment to say, this is where God wants me to be. Go as deep as I can. Take the staves out. Do you remember at the Last Supper, there were, the apostles were there in the upper room with Jesus? But there were different groups within the apostles. You had Judas. He's a lost guy. Then you have nine. You got Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. You got some other guys that are not talked about as much. You got the other nine. They're there. But they're not part of the inner circle. Then you have Peter and you have John. You actually have four different groups mentioned there at the Last Supper by name. So you have Judas. He's the court of the Gentiles, the unclean. Then you got the nine. That's the outer court. They're kind of on the fringe. They're not real deep yet. They will be, but they're not deep yet. Then you get Peter. Peter's the inner court. Peter's the one that leans over to John and says, hey, John, ask Jesus who's going to betray him. So Peter is inquiring about the deep end, but he's not deep himself. Which might explain why a few hours later he denied the Lord. But then you get one man who's leaning on Jesus' bosom, and he is able to look up at Jesus and whisper to him and say, who is the one that will betray you? He's so close to the Lord, he doesn't have to shout. He doesn't have to make a big show and put on a big drama. He's so close to the Lord, all he has to do is whisper. And the Lord can whisper back in that still small voice and say, whoever I give this sop to, he's the one. You say, how do you know they were whispering? Because none of the other men in that room knew what was happening when Jesus gave the sop to Judas. They didn't know. This was a closed conversation meant for those that were deep, 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 close to the heart of God. And that's where John stayed. So my, my advice for you, if you're lost this morning, you can get saved and start this journey into the presence of God. And perhaps you're on the fringe, barely a part of the church, go a little deeper. Start asking questions and go deeper and ask more questions until finally you find the ear of God and you're right there with Him. And when you're there, take the staves out and say, this is where I meet with God. I don't want to move. And that's one way you get the most out of the house of God. And then lastly, verse number 10. It says, there, were, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel 
when they came out of Egypt. If you know your Bible, you know that in that ark there were supposed to be three things, not one. They have the tables, the, the Ten Commandments, they're there. But what else should be there? In the book of Exodus, God told Israel, put a pot of manna in there. And then in the book of Numbers, you read about Aaron's rod that budded. And God told them, keep that rod in the ark. As a reminder of what? There are two things there. The pot of manna is to show you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And God will continuously provide whatever bread you need, physical or spiritual. That's the lesson. So that manna answers primarily to the Bible. What does Aaron's rod speak of? The way you know who the right high priest is, you get life out of death. That rod was broken off. It was a branch that had taken off of a tree. It should not have life coming from it. Put it in the tabernacle and overnight, whom it buds. Almonds shoot forth life out of death. It speaks to the resurrection of Jesus. That's how we know who the right high priest is. He rose from the dead. Now, we, we, we know this. And then when we look at chapter 5 and verse 10, we see that those two things are missing. No pot of manna. No rod from Aaron. You know what Solomon could have done? He could have seen that, recognized it, and said, Ah, our forefathers. Somebody between Moses and now, which was about 400 years, somebody between there took that out. And he could have made excuses and said, we are not able to worship the Lord properly because of our forefathers. And blame the ancestors. Said, you know, the condition of our churches and the condition of our country, if, our, if Oma and Opa, and if the previous generation would have done this right and done that right, listen, if you continually blame the past, you're not going to move forward in the future. So my last point is this, don't blame the past. Maybe your mom and dad didn't have it right. Maybe Opa and Oma were in a bad church. And okay, maybe that is a bit of a hurdle for you now, but don't blame the past. Say, they didn't take the Bible seriously, Potamana. They didn't take the resurrection seriously, Aaron's rod. They, they've lost that. Maybe so. And maybe there are churches, and there are today, that don't appreciate those things. And we can't use them as an excuse for not making the most out of the house of God. These folks, despite whatever setbacks they had, they all came together and with one heart, with one voice, began to praise the Lord and focus their attention and turn their eyes upon the Lord. And they made the most out of that. Some years ago, when I started off in Africa, I was able to go to Malawi for a few weeks and into Mozambique for a week. This is back in the year 2000. I had not yet started as a missionary. I was just there visiting. We went to a village called Murumbala in Mozambique. We were supposed to be there at 2 p.m., Long story short, our vehicle had broken down. I mean, severely broken down. We were stranded in the middle of the bush felt. We got there at 7 p.m. We were supposed to be there for two. Those people assembled at the church at 2 p.m., waited till 4 p.m., and when they realized we weren't coming, they went home. At 7 p.m., I got to town. They showed up at my house, at the uh, guest house, at about 7.30 and said, we're ready. 
they went around and told everybody in the village, the preacher showed up, we're going to have church. So they all reconvened. Some of them had to walk 45 minutes, and they all showed up at 8 p.m. in a church in the backside of the bush with no electricity. They were sitting on the mud floor, and the pulpit was a bunch of mud they pushed together and threw a white sheet over it. I had a lantern on, my, on the pulpit, and there was one lantern in the back, and there were at least 200 eyeballs looking at me. That's all I could see was eyeballs and teeth. <laughs> it was dark in there. And we sang for about 30 minutes, and then I preached for about an hour, and I was tired. I'd had a long day. I didn't feel good. And after I finished, I prayed and said, God, dismiss us with your blessing. And one of the pastors said, no, 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 we're not done yet. We have Bible questions. I thought, whew, Lord, give me strength. So they would ask a question, and they would have to translate it from the local language into Portuguese, Portuguese into Chichewa, Chichewa into English, and then back and forth like that. We stay there for another hour. Now, to me as an American, as a weak, sissy American who's used to air conditioned in the church, oh, God bless your souls for sitting in this heat. Going to the backside of Africa somewhere at 10 o'clock at night, taking more Bible questions, I'm thinking, and listen, enough's enough. Haven't we done enough? They hadn't. You know why? They had never, ever had a visitor show up to their church to preach. Ever. No missionary had ever been there. They had never had a Bible in their church. We were that far out. They had heard of it, and they would preach from what they had heard, but they didn't have a Bible. So when it was, when it was time to have church, you know what they did? They made the most out of their time in the house of God. Because they knew this was our first time, and it will probably be our last. So they made the most of it. The next day, I went, I went back to the guest house. I took a bath with a coffee cup. Many of you have done that, right? You dip it in the bucket and you pour it on your head. That was my bath for the day. The next morning, had a small breakfast, and off we go to church. We had to drive in a small baki. We had 32 people in the baki. 32. I'm sure that's a record. We drove through a cornfield, through the furrows with 30 people in the back. We got to church and we were there for four hours. Sure, this white man learned how to dance. Because, <laughs> I mean, we were just singing and clapping and dancing for several hours. And then it was time to preach. And, oh, those people, they couldn't get enough. I preached for an hour and a half. And they said, all right, more. Next. Give us the next sermon. The sun started to go down, and that's when church ended. They said, okay, the sun's going down. we got to go home. We were going back to the cornfield, and the baki broke down. The front axle bent up like this because it hit a tree root. So now the tires are pointing out like this. We all got out. This is how I know how many people were in the baki. I counted. We had to lift the baki up and walk it out of the cornfield. When we got to a clearing... Five or six guys were surrounding a woman on the ground, screaming in pain, praying over her. I, I got my interpreter over there. Only one man spoke English in that whole group. It was just my interpreter. I said, Robert, what's going on? They said, he said, this woman's having a baby. So we are praying that the baby does not happen. I said, oh, God, please. I started praying too. Finally, this guy, the, 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 the driver, had a hammer and a screwdriver to fix the axle. 
<laughs> so they lifted, the, all those men lifted it up, put it on a, a tree stump. That was the jack. He took the tires off and ba-bang, 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 and straightened the axle enough so we could roll home five kilometers an hour. Foom, 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 foom. We got home at midnight. That lady gave birth at one in the morning. I, I didn't do it, by the way. I didn't deliver the child. That was at a hospital. You say, why would they go through all that trouble? Never had church before like that. And they thought we may never have it again. So let's make the most of it. Now, folks, we are not limited in that way, are we? We can come here as often as we want. It's not about the building. It's not about some fancy tricks or programs or dramas. It's nothing about that. It's about people coming together to genuinely worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We have all the access we want. Now it's up to us, each one of us, to make the most of the house of God. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And the pianist will come. I'm, I'm not going to keep you long. I know it's warm in here. But I, I want to give you a chance to think about what you've heard and react to it. I mentioned it earlier. It's not about hearing the sermon. It's about doing something. So what has the Lord told you to do? And will you do it? For some of you, it might be time to get off of the outer circle and press towards the inner circle. The Bible says about a church, we should be compacted together. We should be growing closer and closer to the middle. And the middle pin, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If perhaps today you find yourself on the, completely on the outside, and maybe this was very strange and foreign to you, if you've never been saved, right after we're done, I'm going to pray here in a moment, right after we're done, if you'd like to find me, I would be honored to show you from the Bible how you can know the Lord personally. Maybe some of you need to just thank the Lord. Praise the Lord for His goodness, for His mercy endures forever. Perhaps that's what He's asking of you. Don't be ashamed to do that. Maybe some of you need to take your staves out. You've been wandering around long enough. Now it's time to get deeply embedded in the church. Time for you to make the most of the house of God. few people are praying we'll give them a moment you know something I've recognized over the years the majority of the good stuff that happens in this church has little to do with me <laughs> you know when it really gets good in here is when you as the hearer as the listener when you respond now, now again I'm not asking for a specific outcome just respond how God wants you to If you've been coming here for a while, you know we're not about putting on a show. We're not asking you to make a scene. We're asking you to be real. 
we're asking you to take the Lord seriously. The Lord built the church. Now it's up to us to make the most of it. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I want to thank you for this church, this congregation. Thank you for the encouragement that they give week in and week out. Father, those that perhaps are still on their journey, pressing towards that most holy place, draw them in, God. Father, we as a church want to be there to welcome them and help them on that journey. And perhaps somebody here is not saved. Father, might you touch their heart. Let this be the day of their salvation. Father, thank you that we don't have to drive through a cornfield to get to church. Help us, Lord, to make the most of what you've given us here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.